Thank you, worship team. Great job. Hallelujah. I really spent a lot of time in, um, you know, I always pray over the messages, but, but I spent a lot of time in prayer with this one because I'm really, I have been feeling for the last several weeks that there is a, there is a, uh, something God is releasing. And, uh, you know, here, here's the thing. And I, and I realize even like on a Sunday, like today, we, we sit and we, we're hearing the message and we're like, pastor's talking about a move of the Holy Spirit. And we start going, well, we're, look at all the empty chairs. Look, the move of the Holy Spirit isn't about chairs. It's about you. So get your mind off of that, okay? You just, like my, my mom used to tell me this, you just worry about you, okay? Yeah. You stop worrying about your brother and your sister. You just worry about you. You take care of you, that's all. I'll be the mom, I'll take care of the rest, okay? Well, I think what we have to recognize in the move of the Spirit, Smith Wigglesworth said that in the last, I mean, uh, uh, before he died, he said that what would happen is there would be a mighty move of the Holy Spirit that would take place, but it wouldn't just be the Spirit, it would be the Word and the Spirit, that they, these two aspects of God, that this is what would happen in the church, and that out of that, more miracles would happen than the church has seen since the beginning. More miracles would take place, and we all long for that. We all long for those miracles, but part of what we have to realize in that is it isn't just one side of the venue where it's just the Spirit. We need that, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Man, Brother Hagen prophesied that in the before he died, he prophesied that the, the end time move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, would be in greater proportion and operation in the church than they have ever been. I believe that. I absolutely do believe that. And uh, I believe we're gonna I believe we're beginning to see and experience that. But we also, as we look at, you know, because we're Americans, we tend to think, you know, that God is only moving going to move powerfully in America. God is already moving in great revival in other countries. I don't know if you know a lot about this. Did you know there's a church in Africa right now that their congregation on Sunday morning, their sanctuary seats 100,000 people? 100,000 people. Excuse me, I'm sorry, 50,000 people. So they have five services on Sunday, packed to capacity, with another 100,000 outside each service. You can't get everybody in. All right? So if you calculate that on a given Sunday, what's happening, there's, there's, there's 250,000 people inside. There's another 100,000 outside in each of those services. There's about 750,000 people coming to that church on Sunday morning. That watch, they can only watch the service from the outside. Now, we, we would go, well, the, that must be sovereign. That no, it's the Word and it's the, the Spirit. Amen. It's the Word and it's the Spirit. You know, we have to be careful we don't have that like imperialistic attitude that America is the only nation in the world, right? We're not. I mean, in Colombia, truthfully, the kids can all testify that we're there. I mean, Look, there, God is doing, I mean, it's, it's just a different atmosphere there. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, it's powerful. And, uh, but here's the good news. You don't have to go to Columbia or Africa to have the move of the Holy Spirit. You can have it right here in Wheeler, Michigan. Thanks for your enthusiasm. 
See, what we, what we have to be really, really, really careful about is, is that we have that imperialistic attitude that we are the only ones that are getting it right because we are not the only ones. The underground church in Iran is way bigger than you think it is. And there's a major move of the Holy Spirit hap uh, happening in Iran. Now, the media will never tell you about it. They won't tell you. They'll just talk about whatever the Ayatollah or whoever's, what is it, the, the, uh, what's the head guy's name? He's not an Ayatollah anymore, but uh, whatever it is, the Imram or Ramamim or anyways, <laughs> little Miss Muffet, I don't know. <laughs> but in Iran, this is happening right now. In China, you know, you're seeing that whole deal in Hong Kong in the media. And that, so, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, China is such a communist nation. But there are, listen, there are millions of people in China that are believers and I'm not talking about mamsy-pamsy believers. I'm talking about, like, these people are real serious, like willing to die for the gospel believers. And these are, these are dangerous people to the devil's kingdom. They're just dangerous, man. The place that's probably struggling the most of all of the countries, and, and God is starting to move there, is the European nations. But America's not far behind. America is not far behind. But I still believe, if we'll open up our hearts, that there is a mighty river of God that is flowing. I talked about last week about in Ezekiel, how that under the throne, that this the threshold in Ezekiel 47, how that the, the water, the Ezekiel saw this vision, the water was coming out, and then an angel took him a little further, and it went from being just enough on the threshold to to being ankle deep, and then it went from being ankle deep to knee deep, and it was waist deep, and then it was above his head, and, and everywhere that it was flowing, there was life that was happening. Trees were growing, powerful things that were taking place. Now, in the New Testament, in Revelation, in I think it's chapter 22, it talks about this river that's in heaven, the river of God that flows from the throne of God. It's the same one talked about in Ezekiel 47. We have an Old Testament witness, a New Testament witness that the greatest power of what God is doing is not just in the churches, but it's in the people that are flowing out of the churches. See, this is where I think part of our dilemma is, is, is that we are definitely more church-minded. We're more church-minded than we are believer-minded. Mark 16 says, These signs shall follow those who believe. It doesn't say these signs shall follow the church. It follows believers, believers that go and do the things, go into the world, you, you know, that are Christian away from the church as well as in the church. And so not that I'm putting church down because we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even as is the habit of some, according to Hebrews, and the, the verse in Hebrews, and it says and that we need to come together even more so as we see the day of Christ approaching. So... How do we experience the river of God? How do we experience what God is doing in this mighty move of his Holy Spirit? Well, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 1, if you would. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, and we're going to do part 2 of the river of God. I don't know how much of this I'll get through, but um, we'll just stop and we'll pick it up next week. So blessed, verse 1, blessed, what's your first word in your Bible? What's the first word? Bless. Anybody got happy? 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I love this out of the message translation. It says it like this. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at the sin saloon. You don't slink, slink along dead end road. And you don't go to smart mouth college. <laughs> now, I met some people. I wonder if maybe they did get a degree from smart mouth college. But he says, look, you're not in the... You're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You're not standing in the path of the sinner. And nor are you sitting in the seat of the scornful or the smart mouth person. But your delight is in the law of the Lord. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, you are meditating day and night. You shall be like a tree. Because of that, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever you do will prosper. And now we all love that part, don't we? Everything we're going to do is prosper. Everything I set my hand to will prosper. My leaf will not wither. I'm going to bring forth in fruit in my season. But remember, you got to be planted by the river of water, and the pathway to the river of water is always guided by you and I, listen, delighting in the law of the Lord. Delighting in the law of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 8 says this, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, and I will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. What I, what I would write there by my, in my Bible is, they're not guided by circumstances. They're not being led by the circumstances that are out there. Um, you know, I talk about this a lot uh, with Joe. Joe and I, because we work out together, we talk about finances. And, you know, I, I'm an investor. Joe's an investor. And we invest in the stock market. And, you know, people are just like, oh, the market's so volatile right now. Good. That's the best time to buy. And while others are sitting around going, no way am I buying. I'm waiting. They're missing out because you can buy cheap now. And then it will eventually, because it always runs in cycles, it will eventually get really good. And then all the people that didn't buy when it was bad will be like, I should have done that. I should have done that. See, when we're moved by circumstances, it will dictate the decisions we make, make in our life. Well, you better not do that now. This isn't a good time. You better not, do, you better not make that kind of a commitment right now because it's not a favorable time. It's the game we play with ourselves and everything. You know, when am I going to start working out? When it's favorable? Well, we got to get through Halloween because we got Halloween candy to deal with. Then we got Thanksgiving. I got to deal with that. Yeah, I can't give up pumpkin pie for. I can't start working out and not eating all that garbage. And then, well, you know, come on, Christmas cookies are coming right around the corner. And then, you know, then, well, then I'm at the first of the year and I'll be good after January 1st. But then you got the Super Bowl that's coming up and I got to be ready for that because we're going to have wings and we got to have all the. Well, then it's Valentine's Day. Come on, man. I got to have my chocolate. Come on, man. Don't put me down because I'm preaching real good. 
Then we got Easter turn around, and then we're right back to the summer. And you know, well, summer apple pie, and you know, and all the fun, and all the goodies, and all the. Come on, Pastor, you're putting, you're you're bringing me down. Preach what I want to hear. Well, there's a church you could probably go to that would preach what you want to hear. But I'll tell you what, it isn't going to help you. I'm going to help you. The Bible says that when is the right day of salvation? Today! Now! Right now! Don't wait! Because God knows you. The longer you wait, the longer you'll wait. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching at you right now. The listen, the longer you put it off, you're going to put it off again and you'll put it off again. I'm going to start an exercise. I'm going to start an eating program. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start giving offerings. I'm going to start, I'm going to commit to serving church. The longer that you put it off, the more you will talk yourself out of it. You know, when you go to sales, somebody's trying to sell you something, they know full and well that in the salesmanship, you've dealt with this, that if they can't get you to do it then, you won't do it later. That's why they don't want to let you go, because they know they got to keep you on the line, because if they can keep talking to you and keep talking to you and get you to make a commitment now. And if you say, well, listen, I'd like to think about that. They know that what you're going to do, think about it means talk yourself out of it. They're going to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that's not moved by the circumstances of life. That's not letting life dictate the course that you're running, but letting the river of God dictate the course that we follow. You and I can never produce the kind of fruit God wants us to produce unless we're planted by the water. We just can't because the water is our source of life. The river of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We desperately have to have his presence in our lives, flowing through our lives. I love what it says in Psalm 46, verse 4, and it says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city. We're the city of God. The river of God makes us glad. The move of the Holy Spirit. And we need that move of the Spirit so that we can produce the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives and in our church, in our ministries, and in our business. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. You know, it says to be planted, to be planted. The word planted means to plant or to transplant. It means to put something in that environment where it can, it can draw. You know, in my yard, um, for, for whatever reason, there, there are parts of my yard that they, they grow whether there's drought or not. Okay? And there are parts of my yard that even when it rains, it doesn't do so great. It starts turning brown. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, the part that grows really good is on the side of the septic tank. And did you know that the grass is always greener over the septic tank? Because there is a river flowing out of that septic tank. We won't talk about what's in the river, but it is a river. There is moisture, and the grass thrives on that. 
You're, you and I are like that. We're like a tree. Where are we planted? Where are we planting our lives? Where are we putting ourselves? You know, Mark, when, when Jesus taught this great message on faith, and he said, you know, in verse 22, he said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. And then he said, say to the mountain, be removed, cast and see not doubt in your heart. Believe the things you say, you'll come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. Uh, then he goes on and he says in verse 24, he begins to talk about, so when you pray, believe you receive and you shall have it. And then he goes on and he says that, look, when you pray, believe you receive it and you shall have it. And then he says, and when you stand praying, forgive. When you stand praying, forgive. And I think about that word stand, you know. Why did he say when you stand? What's he talking about? He's talking about from the point that, look, I prayed. I'm declaring to my mountain, and now I'm standing here. What's going to be my challenge? My challenge is going to make sure that, one, I stay standing where I'm at. And two, that while I'm standing there, I don't let myself get in an atmosphere of unforgiveness that I don't let the stuff that's going on around me get in me. Because, you know, there's always stuff going on around you that can get in you, right? I mean, it's true. Look, we're talking about the river of God, but there's a lot of other rivers that are flowing around us too. Rivers of negativity. I mean, you know, all of the things that flow at our lives, the circumstantial things that we deal with. He said, when you stand praying, he said, look, I want, you to, I want you to forgive. I want you to stay in an atmosphere of forgiveness. Now, here's the key to this. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 says that faith works by love. Faith works by love. Faith, the word works there, is a Greek word, energio, and it means it's energized by love. Your faith is energized by love. So what we could say on top of that, if faith is energized by love, what, look, what happens to your faith if it's energized by anger? Faith energized by fear, by frustration, by anger, by hate, by disappointment, what's going to happen to that faith? That faith is not going to be able to produce anything. That's why when you stand praying, you have to forgive, and Jesus could have just said it like this. Look, because forgiveness is that ultimate example of love. It really is. You know, we think acts of kindness, you know, acts of kindness is, is the true example of love. Like, you know, I come over and I just go, I love you. Oh, I love you. Oh, Christine, I love you. You're so wonderful. I love you. But look, here's real forgiveness. Here's real love. Christine is saying bad stuff about me. Christina is mad at me. Christina is saying nasty stuff to other people about me. Christina doesn't, she, when I walk over to her, she goes, get away from me, you big, tall, ugly guy. I don't want you talking to me. I don't want you around me. And I say, Christine, I, that's fine, you, however you feel, honey, but I love you anyways. You say, well, well, Pastor, I, I don't, you know, come on, that's tough. Look, the Bible says that it's easy for you to love somebody that loves you. Christine loves me. I know she does. She tells me every week, I love you, Pastor. I love, thank you, Pastor. I love you. That's easy. It's that old, nasty, mean person in your family that you hope doesn't show up at the reunion. Anybody got anybody like that? You know, there are certain people I hope don't show up at birthday parties. I'm just, I'm just telling you. 
I'm like, well, if they come, they come. We'll love them. But it'd be okay if they didn't come. (laughs) Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good right now, folks. Look, you say, well, Pastor, I would never feel that way. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. We will have an altar call for liars in just a few moments here. Because we all got people in our lives that were like, golly, you know, you know, like the person, don't you love this person, the person that can't help themselves to point out what you're doing wrong? Everybody's got one of them in their life somewhere. You know, when you say, yeah, I'm just really going through a tough time, it's because you don't pray enough. Right? Well, you're not reading your Bible. That's what your problem is right there. They don't know what you're doing. They just spout off their little quotes. See, when we stand praying, we're to forgive because love, forgiveness is the manifestation, is the greatest manifestation of love. God's love for you, the greatest manifestation of God's love to your life was to eliminate your sin from his relationship with you. He forgave you. Now, it's hard for us to believe, just like we talked about a little while. It's hard for us to believe sometimes because we know how goofed up we were. I love what one person said. I thought this was so powerful. Your love for God is measured by the person that you love the least. You say, well, no, I love everybody equally. Okay, we'll get you to you in a minute, okay? Because we don't love everybody equally. We want to. But we know we don't. But the greatest love that we show to God is the person that we love the least. The least. I mean, we just really just don't. I didn't say you had to like them, okay? But to love them. To do good to them. To bless them. To encourage them. All those things that the Bible says. And, you know, we, we miss out on the benefit of this. But Jesus said, listen, when people despitefully use you, Love them, do good to them, because all you're doing is heaping coals of fire on their head. You want to get really get back at somebody that's trying to hurt you, love them. Well, that just seems backwards to me, Pastor. It is backwards. That's how God is. God isn't flowing down the same stream that everybody else is flowing down. God's river flows in the direction that he has established. When you stand praying... You are to forgive. That river that we're rooted, we're standing by, is a river of love that comes from the throne of God. God is love, the Bible says, so, and love is God. And so we understand from the scriptures that if we're going to experience the blessing of the river, we have to experience the love that is manifested through that river when you stand praying. In Ephesians 3.17, this is really an awesome passage because he, he, Paul is praying for the church and he says that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, that we are rooted there by the river in the love. We're drawing in that, that love that comes from the presence of the Lord. It's not a love that we can manufacture Let's be clear about that. I'm not talking about you manufacturing some kind of love for people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a true love that comes from within. A true love that that God flows through our life. This love, and look, the only way that love can ever really come is in our relationship with Him first. 
We love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Loving God is the key. Loving God is the key, that relationship that we have with God. We become rooted and grounded into that love. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the Ephesian church, because Paul talks about love here. If you look in, and we don't have time to turn there this morning, but if you look in Revelation, you'll remember these different testimonies. This one's probably talked about the most. Um, uh, The two that are talked about the most is the Laodicean church and the Ephesian church. Now, the Laodicean church, Jesus talks about that, you know, you were neither hot nor cold, you know, you're lukewarm, and so basically he says, I spew you from my mouth. But the Ephesian church, he made this statement too. You have lost, left your first love. You have left your first love. What if, now just stay with me for a minute, what if... The first love he was taught, because it doesn't say you have left your first love for God. It just says you have left your first love. What if the first love that we have left is a love for his people? Because I'm going to tell you something. You'll leave that before you leave your love for God. I meet people who say, I love God, but I don't love people. You cannot love God and not love people period. We had a pastor's wife one time, we were trying to help them with their ministry, and she said, look, I really love the Lord, but I hate people. I said, well, look, you might need to get out of the ministry then, because you're, you're never, you can either love people, or because one, that's a disobedience to the word. That's disobedience to the word. And two, you're just going to hurt a lot of people, so do them a favor and you a favor and just get out. They didn't like it, but that's okay. What if the first love that you left was for people? What if the first love that we left was, you know, the church of Ephesians was known for the love. What about Jesus who said that they will know you by the love that you have for one another? What if that love, and look, and here's, here's how, this is where this gets a little precarious for us because everybody here wants to define, we all want to define what that love should look like. Well, this is how love should look like in the church. This is what love should look like between us as believers. But let me tell you, the greatest manifestation of love in the church is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Forgive me. I'll bet I've disappointed. If you've gone to church here for any period of time, I have disappointed you. Not intentionally, but I'm sure I've disappointed you. I let you down. I didn't do what you wanted. I didn't do it the way you wanted it. Whatever. I didn't preach the sermon that you want. You brought your family members to church, and you were really excited, and we had a Holy Ghost blowout, and all of a sudden they were hearing people speak in tongues and run the aisles. And you're like, I can't come to church here anymore because you ran my family off. Now, look, I've let you, but here's, here's here's what we're, this is the greatest manifestation of love. Forgive me. Joe's hurt my feelings a hundred thousand times. But I forgive him. Do you know why I forgive him? Because I've been forgiven. And because I love him. It's hard to stay mad at somebody that you forgive. 
You know, there are days I go down there to Saginaw. I mean, I drove 45 minutes to get there, and he wrote some workout that looked like it was from hell. <laughs> and he knows. He can see it in my face. I just go stone cold, man. I'm just like, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just going to beat this guy down into the ground. That's what I'm going to do. But you know what? He loves me. He forgives me. I forgive. Ken doesn't do everything I want as an usher. He does most of what I want. I'll bet you Ken doesn't do everything you want as a husband, does he, Linda? It's okay. Don't answer. Thank you. <laughs> but you have, look, the requirement is to love. And that requirement has with it to forgive. Because when you stand praying, forgive. And if you don't forgive, then your prayers are not going to get answered. Because you're not walking in love. The Bible says in John, walk in love, guided by it, and following after it. So if we really want to experience the benefit of faith truly at work, love has to be involved with it. Because faith works by love. And the greatest manifestation of love is forgiveness. What if the thing is, is that, you know, we're not planted by the river anymore because we got offended at somebody and we got mad and we're still holding on to that. You know, my dad let me down. I mean, my dad, oh my gosh, my dad was abusive. My stepmother, she was abusive. I mean, just, you know, they might be, she might be watching, but, but we've talked about all this. There were all kinds of people in my life. I was molested at eight years old. Come on, not by my family, but by a neighbor kid at 18. But what good does it do to harbor in my life bitterness and anger and frustration against all those people when I want to get in the river? I want to be planted by the river. I want Look, I don't want circumstances to determine whether my leaf is growing and my fruit is producing. So my determination is, is that, look, they did all that stuff. It all happened to me. I didn't like it. I didn't say I liked it. But I've chosen that I'm going to walk in love, guided by it, and following after it. Because I'm gonna, the truth is, this place don't work without love. No matter how great the music is, no matter how great the preaching is, no matter how great the ministry team is, the usher team, the, the ministers that are here, the, the word, the everything, no matter how great it is, without love, we will kill each other eventually. We'll pick, we'll nitpick, we'll find fault, and the more that we do that, the further we're unplanting ourselves by the river and we're moving to a different place. You're like, I'm in a dry place, Pastor. I don't know why I'm in a dry place. Well, you need to figure out how you got there. And you need to get back to the river. The river is to delight yourself in the law of the Lord. I learned with God that whenever I'm struggling, when I'm going through a long period, I'm not talking about just a, an attack. I'm talking about like a long period where they're just not a break. Something needs to change where I'm located. I'm, I am obviously focusing more in an environment that I don't need to focus in. I had to a couple weeks ago, I got down before God and I said, God, I repent before you. Lord God, the, the things that, I, you know I love you, God. God, you know, you're not surprising him by saying that. I love you, Lord. I love your people. I want to obey you. But stuff has gotten in my life. And I'm going to talk about sinful stuff, just distraction. Distraction. 
disappointment, I'm tired, on and on, all the things that we can say. But see, our Bible doesn't say for us to walk around talking about how tired we are. The Bible says that as a God's person, we're to declare, let the weak say, I am strong. We're not to talk about how poor we are. The Bible says that we're to say, let the poor say, I'm rich. Why? Because that's being planted by the river of water. And when you're by the river of water, it's because you're delighting yourself in something greater than everybody else is delighting themselves in. I'm standing, I'm staying here, and I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in love with people. I'm going to walk in love in this atmosphere. I'm not leaving my first love. Colossians 2.7 says that we're to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as we've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, that we are to be rooted in him. Uh, it's interesting, this word root. If you go to the Webster's, not the one that we get, the abridged one now, but you go to the 1828 version. You know, Webster was a Christian. The original dictionary was mostly written with a lot of Christian, even scriptures in it, actually. And the uh, Webster's 1828, which you can get a hold of, um, uh, you can get a hold of it. They make apps now that, that actually have the whole thing in it. If you use a, a phone or uh, websites that have it. Um, but this 1828 version, when it talked about being rooted, it said that rooted means having its roots planted or fixed in the earth, hence fixed deep. And now this last word's the one that kicked me. They're fixed, they're deep, they're radical. That's what it says in Webster's. Radical. Uh, Having its roots planted or fixed in the earth, hence they are fixed, they are deep, and they are radical. Wow. You know, John... 15.7 says that Jesus speaking, if you abide in me, you know, if you're fixed in me, if you're abiding in me, and my words are abiding in you, that's you delighting in my words, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father will be glorified that you bear much fruit so you'll be my disciples. Look, by being rooted, you and I are abiding in Christ. We are abiding in his word. But are we, the question we have to ask is, are we radical about it? Now, I, you know, my teenage years were in the 60s and 70s. And there were, there were two kinds of hippies. Radicals and love fest people. Now, I hung out with the love fest people, all right? Because we just smoked dope and did crazy stuff. And I won't go into details, but some of you will remember that. We were all about peace, right? No war, no peace, you know, let's all just get along, kumbaya, sing together, you know, all the, does everybody know kumbaya, which is a, means come by me, Lord, we get, join hands together, weep over one another, come to us, Lord, we want, we just love you. Okay, so, then you had this other group, Jerry Rubin was a radical, anybody remember that name? Jerry Rubin was a radical. And I, you know, I grew up right by Kent State. So Kent State, you remember when they, I mean, I remember whenever they shot the girls, the, the state troopers shot those girls um, that were walking to class or they were on their way somewhere. 
and they shut down every road. They sh the, the state patrol shut everything down because of these radicals. Now, the radicals didn't get in. They eventually got in trouble, but what the radicals were doing got a lot of other people into trouble, okay? And these radicals were so serious about what they believed that you couldn't tell them anything any different. You couldn't tell them anything different. I mean, you could talk to them, but they wouldn't listen to they they don't won't listen to anything different. And Jerry Rubin, he was he was an extreme. Now he's a businessman today. He's like, you know, a lot of those folks from the '70s that were wild now are like us. They mellowed out. Their love, peace, and joy, you know. But the radical was wholly committed, even for their life, to what they believed in. I wonder how committed we are in our relationship to Christ. How deep that goes in our life. You know, I, I, I believe Jesus wants us to, you know, look, have a long life and satisfy us. But we do recognize that there can be persecution that comes against us. There are people that have died for, because of what they believe. From the beginning of the church. I mean, that were persecuted and were murdered because of, we call them martyrs. And I think about the one guy that wrote the, the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. And how that whenever that was all taking place, how that when he, when he wrote that first line, he had in mind his family that was standing there with him. And he was told to denounce the gospel, turn his back on God, and uh, they, would, um, you know, they would let his family go. And he looked, at the, he looked at the soldiers and he says, I can't do it. And when he wrote that, they, they shot his kids right in front of him. They killed him. And he wrote that first line, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I have decided. Then they stood his wife out there. And they said, if you don't turn away from the gospel, you quit preaching this nonsense. Or we're going to take your life. Or we're going to take her life. And he said, this, he, he said these words when he thought about that situation. He wrote these words down. The cross before me, the world behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And then they shot him. He only wrote three lines for that song, I believe. Each of them he wrote while he was in prison. He lost his kids in this life. He lost his wife in this life. And he lost his life in this life but he was a radical. He was a radical. See, the thing about being a radical is it changes everybody around you. An old mission story, it's a true story that actually happened in China. They were taking, they had a lineup of people and they, Christians, they hauled them out of a church environment and they had basically told them that you have to spit on the picture of Jesus. That's all they had in their church. And if you'll spit on it and turn away from it, we'll let you live. And if you don't, then we're going to take you out. A man walked up, calculated his life, spit on the picture, and walked away. A woman walked up, calculated her life, spit on the picture, and walked away. A little girl walked up and said, I can't do it. 
That's my Jesus. That's my Savior. I can't. I will not. Nothing you can do will stop. And they shot her dead right there on the spot. But guess what happened? The next person that came up in the line said, I cannot. I will not. I will stand for my Jesus. And they shot him dead. And one by one, from that point on, from the little girl, that point on in that line, nobody turned their back on Christ. Now, let me tell you, God isn't asking you to die for him today, okay? He wants us, we can do a lot more alive for him. But you're that little girl to your family. You're that little girl to your kids. You're that little girl to your coworkers. You're that little girl in your neighborhood. You're that little girl in, that, in this city. You're that little girl in this state. You're that little girl in this world. I have decided to follow Jesus. I will not turn my back on my Savior because I'm radical. Because say, well, you need, I, you know, when I became a Christian, maybe some of you are like this, like me. I'm sorry, we're going over time. Uh, but I'll stop and just, this will be my last story. When I became a Christian, it wasn't the sinners that told me to slow down. It was the Christians. Isn't that amazing? Sinners were like, man, you really, believe what, you really believe what you're talking about. I had Christian people that said, brother, you're just too, you need to call, you're just too zealous. You're too radical. You need to, you know, yeah, you know what they're saying? Be dead like we are. Be dead in your faith like we are. I've been a radical since then. Now, I've had moments of unradicalness where life distracts us. But let's keep it all in perspective. Let's, re- let's face the reality. I want to be a tree planted by the river. I'm not the river. I want to be in the benefits of the river. I want to experience the joy of the river. I'm going to do that by being radical in my love for God. I'm going to do that by being radical in my love for people that are around me. And look, here's the thing. And, and if we get this right, then we, really, then we have really succeeded in this, okay? That you and I do not work for love from people. We do not work for love. We're not trying to get people to love us. We work from a place of love in our lives. We work from a place of love because we have, because we have been loved. We were unworthy. We did not deserve any of this. And in that place where God gave us love, now we work from that place. How do you love the unlovely? You work from a place of love, not work for love. Well, I just can't love them because they don't love me back. Then you're working from the wrong place. Draw from the river. The river says, look, you're loved. I love you. I care about you. I'm watching over you. I'm with you. Delight yourself in the love that God has for you. And then draw from that and work from that place of love for those nasty, ugly people that don't want to hear what you have to say, that reject you. Our Bible reading this morning, Jeannie highlighted this on, um, um, on version. I thought it was so powerful. Uh, but listen, and this is it. I, I, this is my final closing. Verse 14. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion. And it motivates us. Because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. And this means all died with him. Now listen to this next verse, verse 15. So that those who live, you and me, should no longer live self-absorbed lives. 
but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. How awesome is that? Look, the great love that he has shown us now, he says, look, stop living a self-absorbed life that it's all about us, it's all about me, it's all about how much stuff I can have, how many things I've got, how much security I've got. Look, it's not about that. But he loved us. We're by the river. We're planted. We're forgiving, manifesting love. And that Christ's love is fueling our passion in our life. Well, pastor, I just don't feel the fire anymore. That's because you're not letting Christ's love fuel that passion in your life. Because when we let that change in us, we no longer live self-absorbed lives, but we begin to live lives that are poured out for him. In 19... 1977, I remember, Christine, when I went before the Lord, and I was so aware at that moment in my life how futile it all was. I remember just thinking to myself, God, I'm so lost. I'm so, nothing I'm doing is working. Nothing is coming together, God. And God said, listen, come to me. Believe on me. Receive me. Let me be the Lord of your life. Let me be in charge of your life. And I said, Lord, I don't know how you could love me, but you say you do, so I'll accept that. And based off of that, I'll come to you. I'll give my life to you. And these were my words, Kenneth. I said, Lord, if there's anything here you can use for your glory, then I want you to use it, whatever. And it didn't matter if there was one person at Bible study, no person at the church. There was no, there was nothing. Look, none of that mattered. It didn't matter. The first Bible study Sharon and I did on the mission field, one guy named Renee. I mean, nobody came to our meetings. But you know what, Jeannie, it didn't matter. Who cared? Because we loved the Lord and we loved his people. And because we were just, Lord, if you could just use me. I mean, how can we become so self-absorbed that we somehow think that we should be drawing hundreds and thousands of people because we're somebody? We're nobody. I should have at least 50 in my Bible study. I'm that good of a Bible teacher. Baloney, you're nobody without Christ. <laughs> and I think the big problem we run into is, is that when we lift ourselves up, we're not lifting him up. And he is not obligated to lift you up while you're lifting yourself up. In fact, everything in your Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. Hallelujah. Stand up with me. Did you get anything out of this today? I know I fired up about this, but look, I believe that this is, God is moving by his Holy Spirit. I want to get in the river. I want to experience the benefits. I want to draw from that. Want the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the truth is you read your Bible, you look at 1 Corinthians, you'll know in chapter 12 where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit that none of that works without love. It just doesn't work. Forgiveness. I want you to close your eyes with me right now. The first thing, person, that we have to forgive in our lives is ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves. You know, God already made that choice. 
The pathway to that forgiveness of self is just to look to him and say, Lord, I turn to you and I turn away. Lord God, from living this way, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I turn to you, God. The second aspect of it is, is that we have to forgive those who have despitefully used us. You know, today you might be thinking about someone. It could be one of your kids. Look, I've had to forgive my kids for some of the stuff that, I mean, I didn't have to go tell them I forgive them. I just had to forgive them because that had to do with me. I had to forgive them for disappointing, not following the path, not not doing the, making the right decisions, making some terrible wrong decisions. But love compels us to forgive. Love compels us to forgive. That we minister from a place of love, not looking for love. Father, I pray today, Lord God, as you're speaking to the hearts of people by your Holy Spirit, If there's anything, God, that stands in our way in our relationship with you, we make it right today. If there is a sin that we are committing willfully, if there is a sin that we are struggling with consistently, we turn from it, God, and we turn to you. God, in the heart of gratitude, I say thank you for saving me. Could you say that to the Lord, everybody here? Thank you for saving me. Just everybody say it. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for loving me. Say that. Thank you for loving me, God. Thank you. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I declare as we go out, Lord God, from this place, we're, Lord, wherever the river guides, that's where we're going, and we're going to stay planted by it, by delighting in the law of the Lord. Lord, we recognize today that that river is going to be greater away from here than it is here, that as it flows from your throne, Lord God, and it emanates out, that it becomes much deeper the further we flow. So as we flow to Saginaw today, as we flow... Lord God, to Edmore, as we flow to Alma, as we flow to St. Louis or to Ithaca or to St. John's or, or to Parrington or wherever we're flowing to, Ashley, wherever we're flowing to, to Merrill today, Lord God, or Hemlock or to Midland, Lord Jesus. Wherever we're flowing to, we're staying by the river and delighting ourselves in the law of the Lord. And God, as we do, as we delight in you, we thank you, God, that all the power that we need, all the gifts that we need, all the, all the encouragement that we need, Lord God, everything that we need is flowing in that river. Use us, God, wherever we go. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer folks to come up front, if you would, and uh, just hurry up and do that if you would.